Back in uh, back in January, I was I was diagnosed with a bladder cancer, a rare bladder cancer. <clears throat> and uh, so on February 5th, they took out the inside from the inside of my bladder what the cancer was, but they uh, figured that they hadn't gotten it all because of the wall that's that's there. And the rareness of it was this was a cancer that. Uh, rarely happens in people, but it happened in me that when I was born and when I was still in my mother's womb where my belly button was connected to my bladder, that's what had to be taken out, including the top of my bladder and put back together again. So I tell people that I had an Adam-ectomy. I look a little more like Adam now than most of you. I had my surgery at Mayo on uh, the 19th of April, and they had to decide before that how much of the bladder was damaged. And they had already done another surgery that determined that the only part that was affected was that top part, and that that's what they would have to take out. So they did that on April 19th, and let me go home a couple of days later, and, and it felt like uh, I had a tractor tire roll across my tummy. It was not real pleasant. But I thought, well, we can do this. It'll get better. Every day will be better. But every day got worse. Until I, I was spinning up that, that weekend and had a Friday night where I couldn't get any rest at all, couldn't keep meds down, nothing down. And so I went into the Methodist Hospital at St. Louis Park on Saturday morning to the emergency. And uh, they took two quarts of stuff out of me, stuffing a one of those tubes up my nose and down into my, my tummy. And that relieved the pressure right away, but they left that in there for another couple of days just to make sure that there was no more blockage, that the blockage would take care of itself. They said if I had that in for another few days, the blockage was 80% chance that it would heal itself and open up, and it did. So after that, there was still some process in uh, getting regulated down there with all my plumbing having everything work. And today I'm just really thankful to God that everything is working, front end and back end, and I'm here to talk about that. So, yeah, and I'm looking forward, thank you God. Shara's uh, doing well at this moment. She still has, uh, her cancer numbers are below the radar, so they're not seeing any cancer. Doesn't mean that there's nothing there, but she continues to take chemo uh, pills each day for three weeks on and one week off, and then every other week she gets a shot of a different kind of chemo to keep that stuff tucked away inside of her. So we're grateful, and I was telling Pastor Randy this morning that uh, we do exercise every day. We walk for about an hour one day, and the next day we take our bikes out and go on the trails for about an hour. So we're, we're thankful that we're fully functioning. We're awfully good for the shape we're in. Amen. Let's give God the glory. Should we? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And um, I asked probably for Reverend George Rose, and it might have been even a, a year ago because I knew that I would be coordinating um, classes of 69 through um, 74 for an all-class reunion in my hometown. And I'd be gone that weekend, and, and we kind of took um, a week at a time, especially, you know. 
the challenges, health challenges he had. And so he's been preparing for a Father's Day message for about a year. And those by way of television or radio or YouTube or Facebook, you'll want to really tune in strong because he's going to preach one of his best Wisconsin sermons or Minnesota, Wisconsin. Amen. You're going to be backed up by Mike because Mike will be kind of coordinating service and Kathy too. And um, I'm so glad to see uh, your favorite daughter and son in church. As many of you have read and you've heard by way of all church call uh, about Katie and the beloved um, wife of Chris, home with the Lord, and we're going to be celebrating her life and legacy Saturday. It's Saturday, and you'll notice in the bulletin all the information that's there, and it's great to see Jeff. Whenever I see Jeff in church, I, I always think, well, I know he's not adopted. He looks like a blend between his mom and his dad. We welcome you. And let's give the Lars's all a round of applause this morning. Amen. Amen. You are certainly welcome. And, you know, God's um, grace and peace to you. And you'll notice that in the bulletin that Katie's celebration of life service will be on Saturday. This is coming Saturday, June 12th at 11 at Glenhaven Chapel in Crystal with, with a visitation one hour prior. Then there will also be a visitation Friday, June 11, from 4 to 7. Glenhaven has air conditioning. Everybody say it with me. Air conditioning. Don't you feel cooler already? Amen. And if for some reason a fan's blowing on you too heavily, um, don't turn it down. Or ask permission to turn it down by your, your fellow worshipers this morning. We welcome those by way of television today to all of it, United Methodist Church. We all experience challenges, and, and that's why we're here. We're a part of God's team, and, and we know that the principalities and powers and forces are at work to destroy our faith. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and forces. And our hymns and our scripture today is going to be mindful of that. And as we prepare to stand this morning with our opening hymn, God of Grace and God of Glory, we certainly serve a God of Grace and God of Glory. And if you'd stand with me in your purple hymnals as a praise team comes this morning, purple hymnals number 577, please. 577, would you please stand?
there are those that are viewing this by way of television or radio or Facebook or YouTube. Um, our scripture reading today will be taken from Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 48. Let's go before the Lord in prayer as we ask God's blessing also on our scripture reading, Luke chapter 8, verses 40 and following. Father, we want to come this morning with a sense of warmth. We thank you for the warm love of Jesus Christ that surrounds us, and especially the Larson family. We thank you for just present in our church today, and Chris, and beloved daughter, and we thank you, Father, as we make preparations and arrangements for Katie's celebration of life on this coming Saturday through June 12, at 11 a.m. at Glen Haven Chapel. We thank you for their facilities that provide air conditioning and, and food. And we thank you that we may honor Katie's life and their marriage and their relationship of 60 plus years. And we, we thank you, Father, that we can congregate as a congregation and we can worship the Lord our God. We thank you, Father, for Reverend George Groves for bringing back to the many struggles of healing and the attempts of the doctors. We thank you for the wisdom and the expertise of, of the health care that he received at Methodist Hospital. As I spoke with him earlier on the phone, and he encouraged me by coming to church and said that he would be honored. And I asked him what he was going to be doing Father's Day, and he said he would be preaching in the pulpit of all of that. And I, I thank the thought that he remembered many months ago, and I, Father, we just pray that you continue to strengthen him and grant him grace and peace and presence in your continued care and healing. We dearly and deeply miss him in our church and the eight ways, gateways, ministers of the eight to ten churches that he joined with, being a Wisconsin brother coming to Minnesota. We thank you, Father, for his wisdom and expertise, and we Look forward by way of television and YouTube and Facebook to his his message as he challenges fathers. We we need godly fathers to, to lead. We come against that spirit of delinquency and spirit of challenge that God wants to raise up godly men and women as parents. Also this morning, I, I spoke to Dr. Thompson, and he's looking forward to being back with us with the, all kinds of health challenges and what turned into three or four days of emergency heart surgery has turned into weeks. We thank you for his update that Dr. Michael, his brother, shared last Sunday, and, and we, as I prayed with him this morning, I pray for the continual wisdom and expertise of the specialists that are taking care of the cardiology and the heart surgery that is going through. We pray for those challenges that many people in our congregation, and I thank you for, for Janet being here, and Joyce, and those who are such pioneers of faith, and they're just such strong warriors and they give us such a sense of faith and, and hope when we see the many struggles that they experience but yet they're in church on Sunday mornings. 
I prayed for my childhood friend that I was a part of, went to his service yesterday and back home and, and I remember playing in the, the sandbox with him, Arlen Johnson, we prayed for the Arlen Johnson family as he experienced a massive stroke in early death, a veteran of the Gulf, war and desert storm, and comfort his family and had that large Lutheran church that was packed and only people standing room and, and those old Lutheran churches never had any air conditioning. You never imagined what air conditioning was like. But we thank you, Father, that for those who came out and supported this family. We pray for other unspoken prayer requests, Lord, that you know that we can bring before you that wherever two or three are gathered together in your name here and present, Bless us this morning, O Lord, as you've blessed your followers by teaching us all to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This time, Mike, would you come? He's going to be preparing, and I'm going to be reading the scripture, and he's going to be sharing the moments with the laity. And if you have your Bibles, it's it's one. There's a blessing that the book of Revelation says that that as you hear the word of God, you're blessed. As you see the word of God, you're blessed. And as the word of God is proclaimed, you're blessed. So turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 48. This is a passage of scripture that I just really adhere to, too, because I, I can understand what's going on in the heart and the mind of Jars, who was a leader of the temple. And, and my daughter, Hope, has been really experiencing some tremendous challenges and just trying to get prepared for the... Um, bone marrow transplant the second time the Philadelphia leukemia virus, which is, is not anything to, to mix with, mess with. And she has just three adorable children, Gabriel, Michael, and Delaney, and lovely husband, Dan, who's a Brooklyn Park policeman. And I, I claim this passage of scripture because here is, here is one who this Sunday and next Sunday the scripture we'll be dealing with. And we all need kind of a restoration to life. And we, we all need a, a touch of God's healing hand. Reading from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 and following. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. Just a few verses back, the, the crowd asked him to leave. Asked him to leave. He got back in the boat last Sunday. We learned very few times in life we as individuals have somebody ask us to leave but the son of God was asked to leave but here's, here he's returning and they were all waiting for him and just when there came a man named Jairus a leader he was a leader of the synagogue and he fell he fell at Jesus' feet and he begged Jesus to come to his house for he had an only daughter, only daughter, about 12 years old, 
was dying. And as he went, the crowd pressed in on him. Can you imagine? Can you picture with me how the crowds were pressing in on Jesus? And now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhoids for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, now some of us know and thank God for insurance because, you know, we'd be paupers. There wasn't insurance. But they didn't have such a thing as insurance in that day. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. And she came up behind Jesus, and what did she do? She touched the fringe of the clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped, her bleeding, her bleeding stopped. Then Jesus asked, as you and I need to ask, who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, well, Master, the crowds surround you, and they, they press upon you. But Jesus said, someone, someone touched me. For I noticed that power had gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before Jesus. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched, why she had touched Jesus, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, as Jesus had saying to you and I today, daughter, sons and daughters, your what? Faith has made you well. Go in peace. Good morning. Previously, uh, the last couple of weeks, we read where Jesus had actually healed a person that was possessed by many demons. Now we turn to the other side of the lake, who was welcomed instead of being thrown away by the other Welcomed by a friendly crowd. They gathered for him, waiting for him to return. In particular, there was one person in that crowd, and this person, Jairus, was a synagogue leader. Being a synagogue leader means that you maintain, you're responsible for maintenance at the temple, and you also arrange the services. Jairus went to Jesus and fell to the ground, prone at his feet. He begged Jesus to go to his home and heal his only child, a 12-year-old daughter. This young woman's issues, her medical issues, went far, far beyond being only medical. Because of her medical condition bleeding, she was socially and unceremoniously clean. She couldn't have normal relations with either friends or family. And her bleeding was so profuse that wherever she sat down or laid, had to be wiped out. Because of this condition, this poor young lady was a social and religious outcast. Out of necessity, she had been rejected by her family and friends. Furthermore, she was prohibited from attending and participating in any religious ceremonies or services at the temple. Luke, who was a doctor, as we all should know, and he said in verse 43, What you have, there is no cure. This is despite the Talmud having 11 homeopathic cures for that bleeding. As Jesus was going to the daughter, a young, the same, young unclean woman stuck up finally behind him and touched his, his, his gown or his fringes on the throne. When she touched him, 
He became instantly healed from the bleeding. Despite the large pressing cloud crowd, Jesus knew he had been touched and the power of healing power had gone from him. He even knew who touched him. But despite that, he turned around. He probably looked at that young lady and said, Who touched me? Before there was a response, impetuous Peter said, Master, the multitudes surround you and press against you. Jesus looked at him and said, Someone touched me, for I perceive power has gone out from me. Now the young woman that had touched him and been healed thought it was a secret, but she also thought it wasn't a secret to Jesus. She stumbled forward and fell at his feet and publicly claimed in front of everybody there that it was her and that she'd been immediately and instantly healed. Jesus probably looked at her and said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Continue reading, you'll see further examples of the power of faith. No, not in faith itself. Faith in itself does not have power. But the object of that faith has ultimate power. And we have to invest in it. And investment is a really good word when you talk about God because when you invest money or anything else, you expect a larger return. Anybody who invests invest their faith, if you're really small, into God, they get almost in, immeasurable. And you can't even imagine unimaginable returns on that investment of faith to God. This is the way God works. We, anybody who has faith, will get unimaginable treasures in return for just a small amount of faith placing him in his son. So, Everybody that's on my voice on TV and here in Greece, invest your faith in this one true God. You will get unimaginable and uncountable rewards. So invest in God, receive Him, and amen. Amen. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you. Let us pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this scripture that reminds us how much misery and troubled sin is brought into the world. The passage we have just read affords a melancholy proof of this. First we see a, a distressed father, a distressed father in bitter anxiety about, about a dying daughter. Then we see a, a suffering woman who has been afflicted 12 years with an incurable disease until she met Jesus. And there are things which sin has sown broadcast over the whole earth. These are but patterns of what is going on continually on every side. These are evils which God did not create at the beginning, but humans have brought upon themselves by the fall. There would have been no sorrow and no sickness without Adam's children, and if there had been no sin. Bless these words, we pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let you and I, you and I see in the case of this woman 
here described a striking, a striking picture of the condition of many souls. Now, many of you um, follow along. There's three important points on the back of your your bulletin, a little outline, and I delete a certain word that I want to emphasize. And that first statement, or the first point is that let us see in the case of the woman here described a, a striking picture of the condition of many souls. Now, earthly physicians cannot diagnose the soul. They can look at the body, they can look at certain things and say, um, if you take this medication, if you do these certain drugs or have this form of surgery, we can take care of the body. But it's only Jesus, the master physician of all that looks on our soul and on our spirit. We are told that she had been infected, affected with this um, wearing, you know, it's kind of like a wearing disease, and maybe some of you have had certain diseases, they just really wear on you. They not only wear on your body, but they wear on your soul, and they wear on your spirit. And she had this for how many years? Twelve years. And that, it said that she had spent all her living, spent all her living upon physicians, and it's not uncommon for me to talk to people by way of telephone and run into them and say they've spent their income, their retirement income, upon physicians and hospitalizations and specialized care. And she could not be healed, it said, of any, any of these. In the state of many sinners' hearts, your heart and my heart, is placed before us in this description. We can look at ourselves, we can examine our own hearts as in a glass. Perhaps it describes ourselves. Our Sunday school teacher, Ira, always encourages us to look in the mirror and examine ourselves, examine ourselves. What does the mirror have to say? There are men and women, boys and girls in this congregation and by way of television, by way of radio and Facebook that listen to me Sunday after Sunday who have, who, who fell and have felt their sin deeply. They have felt a need of healing deeply. And they've been more and sore afflicted by, excuse me, the thought that they are not forgiven or they're not fit to die. That's a tragic condition when a person feels they're not forgiven or they're not fit to die. They've desired relief and they've desired a sense of peace for their conscience, but have not known where to find that peace, where to find that relief. They've tried many false remedies, they found themselves nothing better, but rather worse. They have gone the round of all the forms of religion, and they weary themselves with every, every imaginable 
man-made device for obtaining spiritual health. My daughter, who is retired Colonel Air Force and the flight surgeon and currently is on staff at St. Luke's in Duluth, reminds me again and again of those people that just seem to be chronically ill. They don't take care of themselves. They don't exercise their minds and their bodies and their spirits and they wonder why they're not well. But all has been in vain. It seems among the soul and the spirit peace of conscience seems as far off as ever. The wound that's within appears a fretting, intractable sore which nothing can heal. It seems that they are still wretched, still unhappy, and still thoroughly discontented with their, with their own state. In short, like the woman of whom we read today, they are ready to say, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for me. I shall never be saved. Thank God Jesus gives us healing of the soul and certainly healing of the spirit and certainly salvation. And let all such take comfort in the miracle which we are, are now considering. Let them know that there is a balm, a balm in Gilead. For many years I didn't quite understand what this balm in Gilead was. But it was a healing from Jesus. It was a healing from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit which, which can cure them if they will only seek it. That's why I challenge you by way of congregation and television and radio and YouTube and Facebook to repeat the sinner's prayer each and every Sunday. Why not rededicate? Rededicate yourselves. There is one door at which they have never knocked. All their <clears throat> efforts to obtain relief. There is one physician to whom they have not applied. But this physician, this physician will heal. Let them consider the conduct of the woman before us in her necessity and in her sincerity. When all other means had failed, she went to Jesus. She went to Jesus for help. Let you and I go and do likewise. <clears throat> and let us see secondly in the conduct. The conduct of this woman before us. This conduct is striking, a striking picture of the first beginnings of saving faith. Saving faith and the effect of saving faith. We are told that she came behind. She came behind our Lord and she touched. She touched the border of his garment and immediately her issue of blood subsided. I've had um, Many people in my congregations over the years that have served older congregations come to church that couldn't understand a word 
where did I sin because of such deafness? And they've often been asked, how come you come if you can't hear a word that the pastor says? And they normally res would respond by saying that they wanted to be touched by Jesus. I hope whether you can or, or cannot hear my words or accept my words, that you will accept the touch of Jesus. This very act appeared a, a most simple one, a most simple one, and utterly inadequate to produce really any great results. But the effect of that act was most, most marvelous, most marvelous. In an instant, the poor sufferer was healed. The relief that many physicians had failed to give in how many years? Twelve years was obtained in one, one moment. It was but one touch, and she was well. I thought of how our congregation dearly misses Lee Gross, and had Lee still been alive, I would have asked him to sing that special hymn, He Touched Me. He Touched Me. It's hard to um, conceive a, a more lively image of the experience of many souls than the history of this of this woman's cure. Hundreds could easily testify that like her they long have sought spiritual help from physicians of no value and they wearied their souls by using remedies, remedies which brought no cure. And at last I heard, they heard of one who healed laboring consciences, social, somatic illnesses, and, and forgave sinners without money and without price. If all would only come to Jesus by faith. The terms sounded too good to be credible. The tidings sounded too good to be true, but like the woman before us, they, they resolved to try. They came to Christ by faith with all their sins and, and to their amazement at once found relief. I hear stories and testimonials. Sometimes I share them with you, those who heard our telecast by way of television or radio or YouTube or Facebook and how you reached out and, and touched either the television or the radio or the computer and you felt, felt God, you felt a healing from God. And now they feel more comfort and hope that, than they've ever felt before. The burden seems to have rolled off their backs, they, the weight seems to be taken off their minds. Light seems breaking in on their hearts. They begin to, as Romans chapter 5, 2 says, rejoice, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. They came to Jesus just as they were. They touched Jesus by faith and they were healed by faith in Jesus. And forever let it be graven in our hearts that the faith 
in Christ is a grand and ground secret of peace with God. Without it, we shall never find inward rest in whatever may be our religion or our denomination. Without it, we may go to services daily. We may receive the Lord's Supper every week. I listen to a, a Catholic radio station as I go through St. Cloud oftentimes to visit my parents, and I always tune in and how the Catholics are dealing with the whole subject of transubstantiation and various, various political figures that are not being allowed to take up communion because originally Catholicism believed that you had to be a person of pro-life, pro-life in order to partake of the transubstantiation when the body and blood of Christ is taken at the Lord's Supper. The many times I traveled through St. Cloud and St. Ben's and St. John's and students are sharing their testimonies by radio. It's an encouragement that the Catholic Church is remaining to their historic doctrines and premises. Without it, we may go to serious services daily and receive the Lord's Supper every week. We may give our goods to the poor and our bodies to be burned. As 1 Corinthians 13 reminds, we may fast and we may wear sackcloth and live the lives of hermits. And all this we may do and be miserable after it. Who are we doing it for? Is it for self, glory, or God's glory? One true believing truth of Christ is worth all these things that are put together. The pride of human nature may not like it. Your pride and my pride, but it's true. Thousands will rise up at the last day and, and testify that they never felt confident in a sense of comfort of soul till they came to Christ by faith. And that they were to, content to cease from their own works and be saved wholly and entirely by, by God's grace. And let us lastly, in this passage, notice how much our Lord Jesus desires that, that those who have received benefit from him should confess him, should confess him before others. We are told that he did not allow this woman, whose case we have been reading, to retire from the crowd unheeded. He inquired, Jesus inquired, who touched me? Who touched me? And Jesus inquired again until the woman came forward and, and declared that her, her case before all the people. And then came the gracious words, daughter, be of good comfort. I trust that those within my hearing words can say, be of good com comfort. Thy faith, thy faith had made thee whole. Now, confession of Christ is a matter of great importance. Let this never be forgotten by you true Christians. The work that we can do for our Master Jesus is little and poor 
one best endeavors to glorify Jesus. Our efforts are, are weak and full of imperfections. Our prayers and our praises are, are sadly defective. Our knowledge and our love are miserably small. But, but do, we feel, do we feel within that Christ has healed our souls? Healed our souls and our spirits. And then can we not confess Christ before others? And can we confess Christ before others? Two of my ministerial friends in my hometown that pastor the ECLA Church and the United Methodist Church uh, have retired from the um, mental health. My cousin, Kelly Nelson Christensen, from child protection and mental health from Todd Wadena. And on retirement, they because there was no pastors to fill their churches. They had inquired if myself had returned to my hometown. Then the ECLA have been short ministers too, and, and it was, he was called on Pastor Mortensen, who became a pastor through home study and through his social work and social concerns and psychiatric care. Did a fine job yesterday. Then can we not confess that Christ, Christ before others? Can we not plainly tell others that Christ has done everything for us and that we, we were dying of this deadly disease called sin and we were cured? That we were lost and now we are found? That we were blind and now we see, let us do this boldly and not be afraid. Let us not be ashamed, ashamed to let all know that Jesus and what Jesus has done for our souls. Every year, is, every five years, it's such a thrill for me to plan class reunions for a certain five-year period. And as I plan, I realize that there's between almost five and 10% of those graduating class have died during that five year period. But it's also encouraging as I notice conversations change. Certain habitual patterns of characteristic traits and profiles of students change and some that were really certainly unbelievers we have became believers those who I graduated with who were somewhat close to me and followed me in sports or the ministry or have suddenly been attracted to conversations that would stir my heart and stir theirs our master Jesus loves to see us doing so Jesus likes, likes his people as you and I not to be ashamed not to be ashamed of his name. It was like about 20 years ago at our 30th class reunion in our hometown cafe. I stood up and said a word of prayer over the food and where we ate. I mentioned a comment that some people, they, they eat like Rover at home. The minute you put the food before them, Rover just digs in. 
at the close of my prayer, I had a number of people come up to me and say, well, you know, that's a, that's a pr pretty profound comment. And then one of the teachers, you know, who was recent called me when he'd seen me share opening prayer at the Senate or House of Representatives. He, he follows, you know, the legislation and I happen to be invited on that particular opening. And he heard me um, open in prayer. And he remembered back what I had said some 20 years ago. And he almost had to confess. He said, um, you know, I was so convicted, but I became almost bitter and hardened. And he spoke after me and he said, um, after we get done with our chicken, let's all go to the liquor store. And, you know, a lot of half a dozen or a dozen of them. My friends got up and went next door to the liquor store. What witness are you witnessing to? What testimony are you testifying to? Our, our master loves to see you and I doing so. He, he likes his people not to be ashamed of his name. It's a solemn saying of St. Paul. St. Paul, the Bible says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It's still more solemn saying of Christ himself. Christ himself said, Whosoever, whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, I, I the Son of Man, will be ashamed of. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed today, we want to admit the plan of salvation, the ABCs of salvation, that day that all of us from pulpit to pew have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and things we've done and left undone, and that we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to drop that belief from our head to our heart to our feet, and then see, we need to confess Christ. We need to be very deliberate. Would you join me in prayer by way of television and radio and YouTube and Facebook by repeating these words? Dear Jesus, I confess that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory and things I've done and left undone. Forgive my sins, O Lord. Come into my heart and life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Move the belief from my head to my heart to my feet. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to make sure that I tell you all, if you stand in this pulpit, Marie reminded us this morning. When you step back, you go down about a foot. There's been, I think, Marie experienced that. That's a long foot if you're going to fall backwards. So in a couple weeks, when Reverend George, you enter this pulpit, it's probably going to be about 10 degrees warmer when you're standing this fall. But when you step back, 
Make sure you land on both feet. Would you join me? Um, I think we might be back at the point where we can circulate the offering plate. Do we have the offering plate, or is it at the back of the church? Let's um, turn to our prayer and our bulletin as the um, offering plate is circulated this morning. And would you join me in the prayer of our offertory prayer in our bulletins, please? Holy and forgiving God, it is easy for our lives to become singularly focused on our families. Yet you call us to a broader understanding of family. We prioritize our money around the needs of our families, and especially our children. And you challenge us to a global view of family and to look at all children with the love we look on the, those who live under our roof. As we give to you, open our eyes to see the wider family, our ears to hear the cries of hurting, hungry children, our hearts to experience the extravagantly generous love you pour down on us. We pray in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Because of the, the warmth and that as we circulate the offering plate, you can remain seated, but we expect you to stand up for Jesus. When you leave this place, we come to learn about Jesus and to serve Jesus, and we leave to certainly serve him. So if you turn in your purple hymnals as the ushers come forward this morning for the offering, purple hymnals, number 514, please stand up, stand up for Jesus.
God, we thank you for the privilege and the honor of sharing your word. For you are a holy God. You are above us. You are among us. You're within us. And we rejoice this day that while you might have chosen to be unknown to us, you, you have revealed yourself in many ways. Each encounter with you calls us to return blessings with worship and compassion and service. So when we give this day, we do so in gratitude for all your periental care for us through your creation. When we give this day, we give because in love you gave us Christ, your Son, that through him we might find eternal life. And we give this day your spirit leads your church to reach out in compassion, mercy, and grace to all your children everywhere. In gratitude we celebrate you. Three and yet one. Amen.